All right, well, the children are leaving with their leaders, and today we're staying in here, and we're going to return once more to the text in Revelation chapter 3 and finish our examination of the church of Sardis. Recall rather quickly that Sardis, as we began to talk about it last week, we quickly recognized and labeled it, as many scholars do, as the dead church. In the address to the church, Christ is very critical of the believers, informs them that they were once alive, they had a reputation for being alive, but now they're dead. Revelation chapter 3, verse 1, the latter part of that verse, says, I know your works. You have the reputation of being alive, but you're dead. And as you begin to read through the letter now in the first six verses of chapter 3 of Revelation and see that Sardis is labeled that dead church, you begin to see the text kind of suggests that, that they, these believers now, the church in Sardis, have become callous, certainly complacent, maybe cold, and they're definitely described as dead. And to understand that last week as we introduced that thought to us and began to dissect the text in Revelation chapter 3, we paralleled that to the Pharisees, how they also then were one who were going through the motions, not having a heart to receive Christ. If you know anything about the Pharisees, you know they prided themselves on what they called themselves as religious or law experts. They stood on a street corner, made sure everyone see them pray, as mentioned in Matthew chapter 6, verse 5. When it came to fast, they would fast, but they would appear gloomy, disfigured. So everybody knew that they were going without nutrition, as mentioned in chapter 6, verse 16 of Matthew. But while they were religious on all matters, they never accepted Christ for who he is, the only son of God. So basically, their outer appearance of looking religious was only a facade. And we made that parallel then to the church of Sardis and to the believers because in, in similar fashion, that was the way the believers were in Sardis, only going through the motions, resting upon the reputation. We strongly suggested even the text refers to the fact that it needed a wake-up call. N.T. Wright, the scholar, said the believers at Sardis had the reputation of being alive, of being a vibrant going concern, a fellowship where things were happening, but they had gone to sleep on the reputation and need to wake up. Basically, their works had not been found to be complete. That may be a tactful way of saying that their performance of the gospel, their Christian way of life, leaves a lot to be desired. But that's not the sort of thing Christian faith is. He states, and it's accurate, that it's all or nothing. Either Jesus really is the Lord, rightly asking for absolute allegiance, or he is a sham, and she rejected outright. It simply will not do to bumble on, looking busy, but achieving little or nothing. Reputation is not enough. Those are accurate words of what's happening to the church in Sardis. In short, the church of Sardis, the believers, were falling far short of fulfilling their obligations as Christians. And subsequently, they began to have a slow death. That's the things we referred to last week as we began to dissect what's happening at our fifth church, the dead church at Sardis. But let us read the text once more this morning. We have a little bit more to expand upon and to elaborate and to apply. So let us read the text, refamiliarize ourselves with it, and then we can expand further. Stand with me this morning if you're able to. 
as we stand to honor the reading of the word. And we'll go back in Revelation chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. Verse 1. Is the angel of the church of Sardis right? The words of him who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your works. You have the reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die. For I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. Remember then what you received and heard. Keep it and repent. If you will not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what hour I will come against you. Yet you have a still a few names as Sardis, people who have not soiled their garments, and they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. The one who conquers will be clothed thus in white garments, and I will never blot his name out of the book of life. I will confess his name before my father and before these angels. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Father, Lord, we come before you today, Lord, just looking to the examination of the church of Sardis and beginning to apply what's happening here as known as the dead church. We pray, Lord, as we begin to dissect this, as individuals and as a church body together, that we would never resemble this church. The church we read about in Sardis, Lord, this church would never resemble that. Lord, let us even dig deeper. And apply even further today that the church, the church, yes, can be a building, but the church is the people. So the people themselves became dead. Lord. And I pray that all of us then would never become complacent, cold, callous, and dead to your word. I pray, Lord, today that you'll lead, you guide, and direct us. In every possible way, we open our hearts now to receive the spirit and let it reign and lead and direct us in our time of worship, in our time of message. Thank you, Lord. For what's going to happen here today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, the message of the letters, six verses, most of the letters, most of the things we find in each of the seven letters are often referred to as letters being sent to the churches. But this letter or the message now for Sardis, we need to understand first and foremost is relevant, extremely relevant to churches today as many are beginning to experience, if they not already had had, a slow death. Now, I'm not sure about you, but I've been in churches that begin, that were once alive. I mean, you go into the church, you can tell maybe it was once alive, but began to slowly rest upon its morals and then had a slow, agonizing death. It's a sad reality for many churches today. Particularly a church that has a leadership that begins to age a little bit. You can only talk about the good old days. Or a church you go into that has a leadership that says, well, that's not the way we used to do it. When vibrant youth come in and have these new exciting ideas. Because what's happening in that type of church is that they squelch the spirit. It's like it don't, doesn't exist anymore. And I'm so glad at Crossroads we allow the spirit to lead. We have an energetic group full of energy, full of enthusiasm here for love of the Lord. We invite, we encourage, we allow the Spirit to lead to every service and every event we do. We recognize it's all for His glory, none of ours. So that we need to understand in a church that loves the Lord, keeps that love alive by continuing to reach out to others, to fulfill in the need they may have, but yet introducing Christ, which is the greatest need. If only Sardis then 
had not rested upon their once great reputation as the text alludes to. And just kept that fire burning. If only Sardis, the church we read about in Revelation chapter 3, if only they had allowed the Holy Spirit to be present within the church. If only they allowed the Spirit to continue to lead and reign, perhaps things would have turned out differently. And that thought and comment then leads to our first point of application today, which is this. There can be no life apart from the Spirit of God. There can be no life apart from the Spirit of God. I mean, essentially, a vibrant, healthy, growing church invites, it welcomes, it allows the Holy Spirit to lead within the church. Notice once again, as we go back to the beginning of the letter sent to Sardis, how the church has works leading to a good name, a good reputation, but they're dead. I mean, we've, we've emphasized this point repeatedly in the last couple of weeks. I've already said it three times this morning. He says in Revelation 3, verse 1, I know your works. He knows exactly what's been happening in the church. I know your works. I know the good things you've done. But now you're dead. I know your works, but now you're dead. Now, as you hear that, again, we've emphasized that many different times now, but if you know Scripture, you might be thinking, well, wait a minute. Okay, they've got works. In the case, they've got works. I keep hearing that. So just back up for just a moment. Because doesn't James, in his epistle, begin to associate works and faith? Aren't they connected? That faith without works is dead? Doesn't James allude to this? Doesn't he make this statement? But yes, absolutely he does. So you know your scripture. Because in James chapter 2, verse 14, he says, What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? Or verse 17, where it says, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Alluding to how maybe they're connected, certainly that we need to have works. Or verse 26, whereas the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. So James, yeah, he makes this connection. So when we think about James, and now think about what's happening as the letter sent to the church of Sardis in Revelation chapter 3, and we ask the question, doesn't then our works that we do as Christians, as believers, doesn't that display our faith? Or another question perhaps we could ask ourselves and entertain for a moment. Can it be really said that these believers in Sardis are dead if they have these works? So while it is true that faith and works are connected, and maybe even dual sides of the salvation coin, if you will, we must never believe that our works save us. So what James is explaining in his epistle is the very truth. I mean, James is communicating that faith and works are not mutually exclusive, and that true inner faith just manifests good works and deeds. But if any way that's confusing, let this be clear. That a Christian does not perform good works to earn salvation. It does not work that way. But rather, we bring glory to God through our good works and deeds that we do. It's very similar, if you will, to the fourth point we had last week about how we have obligations of believers and how that fourth point said we do what is good because of God's grace. So works does not save us. 
But we have works, we have deeds for God's glory and for the recognition and glory be upon him, not us. Now, if anyway still is confusing, I'm going to give you an example. For the last 20 years, 20, about 20 years, my family, the Beatle family, has been raising money for Relay for Life. It all began as my dad was diagnosed with cancer many, many years ago. My dad passed away in 2003, and before that, when he was diagnosed with cancer, there was an effort to start a team to raise money for cancer research. I was not present at a particular time, living in Mississippi or Texas, and really didn't get involved with the whole effort at all with raising money for cancer until I moved from Texas to Indiana. It was about five, six, five or six years ago. But the team began to form, called Beetle Bunch and Friends, with an intentional effort to try to do all the fundraising possibly they could do in any particular year, and then let that be given to the research to find the cure for cancer. But in the fact that I wasn't even involved for the first 15 years, there was something substantial that happened. In the first 15 years of fundraising with the Beetle Bunch of Friends Relay for Life team, they raised for cancer research and gave the Inter-American Cancer Society a quarter of a million dollars. $250,000 was given to them in the first 15 years. I wasn't even around during any of that. And it was harder to have fundraising with everything that happened to COVID, but this team still exists. We had a fundraiser we did a couple of weeks ago as we cooked a dinner for, Beth, for Bethel Church in Princeton. But here's the point of suggesting all of it. I mean, it's not to boast upon the team's efforts. Here's the point of even bringing it up. If anyone on that team believes that they are doing good works and good deeds, raising money to fight cancer, to earn their way to heaven, then they're badly, sadly, horribly mistaken. Because good works are not rewarded with the eternal happiness with the Father. It's only through the blood of the Lamb, through the blood of Jesus, that we can receive happiness with the Father eternally. It's not through works. So yeah, getting back to the text in Sardis, the believers, it says they've had works. And then Christ calls them out. I mean, he tells them, I know you've done good works. I know that you good did things. But you have the reputation for being alive, but you're now dead. So we keep hearing this over and over. They have the works. They have the reputation at one time. They were once alive, but now they're dead. So we ask, well, how can they possibly be dead? Re explain it to me. How are they dead? that they have the reputation of being alive? And the answer is that they are spiritually dead. Spiritually dead, as in the Holy Spirit is not even present in the church anymore. It's not welcome. They say, it's all about me. It's about everything they were doing for themselves. For their glory. Not welcoming and allowing the Holy Spirit to lead and to reign. Now, is that then relates to us as our church or to any church in general? The church must never get caught up in the mindset or mentality that we do things for ourselves. And here at Crossroads, we do everything we do, both individually and corporately, we do for the glory of God. So we must understand, churches today must understand how to prevent a church from becoming dead. I mean, it's good to have a reputation for being alive. I've asked around our community, perhaps you have too, 
that Crossroads Baptist Church here in Oakland City is being noted, thankfully, as a church that has Bible study. We have a church that's recently having conversion. We have a salvation today. We're having a baptism with Declan. So we're, we're not cold. We're not complacent. Our rest of our laurels. We have a great vacation Bible school. We have outstanding community outreach. And then we also allow the Spirit to lead and to reign here at the church. So we have a good reputation within our community as well. But even though we have a great reputation within our community, it would be all for naught. I mean, if Christ was somehow walking in and coming to church and look right through all of our efforts and say, y'all are going through the motions for your glory, you're spiritually dead. It'd be horrible. So we must always remember the lifeline and stay connected through the Holy Spirit to that lifeline. Jesus made it very, very clear that he is divine and that we are the branches. And we stay connected or we abide in him through the Spirit. In John chapter 15, he says, I am divine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. Note here that anyone, it says anyone does, does not stay connected, does not stay abide, they just wither away. As you wither away, the branches dry out or gather together and are burned. Or we could rephrase as the body becomes dead. I'm so thankful the crossroads here that the Spirit is welcome. It's welcome throughout the church, throughout every part of our hearts, throughout every hallway, every part of the rooms. I mean, we welcome the Holy Spirit here. Now, that doesn't mean we get all charismatic and silly, all right? But it means that we do recognize that there can be no life apart from the Spirit of God. We allow the Spirit to lead, and it keeps us spiritually alive. Well, let's tackle the other side of the equation for just a moment. Let's go a little further and just ask the question, okay, what if we were spiritually dead? I mean, the church of Sardis pronounced as spiritually dead, and what if we somehow, or churches today, become spiritually dead? Can they be revived? Can they be revived from the condition that they are in as being pronounced spiritually dead? And maybe that's the million-dollar question as many are starting to experience just that. I mean, there's no doubt that the church of Sardis is certainly spiritually dead, Talked about that on multiple occasions last week and already today. And there are churches today that are becoming like Sardis. I hate to say that, but there are churches today that are becoming like Sardis. So the question then is, can they be revived? Is it too late for them? Well, to answer that question, we first have to analyze what causes a church to be spiritually dead. What causes a church to die spiritually? And note, to some extent, we've already answered it partly, at least, that when you begin to squelch the Spirit, disallow it to reign, that the Spirit kind of be in the, not present at all, failure to recognize the power of the Spirit, you begin to die as a church. So we've already, called, we've already addressed one cause 
of why the church could be dying today. Because they don't allow the Spirit to be present. But then what else then maybe contributes to a church proclaimed as dead? That's the question must also ask. And it's things like this then. They're self-serving. As what's maybe happening in Sardis, they rest upon their laurels rather than witnessing. They just kind of quit giving the gospel. Smugness. Lack of compassion, maybe lack of love. Accepting and begin preaching and teaching false doctrine, which was what was happening at Pergamum and Thyatira. Maybe overconfidence and pride, certainly, and hypocrisy. Those are things that also contribute to a church having a slow, agonizing death. Dr. David Jeremiah offers some insight pertaining to Sardis that we can perhaps gain from. He says, a spiritual autopsy of Sardis will show us the causes of death. First, Sardis died because it relied on his past success. We never want to rely upon our past success. We want to continue to reach out to others. Is that the body was once healthy, had been neglected. Second, the church died because it allowed sin to creep into the membership. Over the years, the church of Sardis had acquired a reputation for lax moral standards. Thirdly, the church died because it was not sensitive to its own spiritual condition. It was confident that God was there because the building was magnificent and the parishioners were well-dressed. Y'all are beautiful. They were like the people Paul described in his letter to young Timothy, having a form of godliness, but denying his power. And Dr. David Jeremiah offers some insight that's worth examining. I mean, we can examine then our church, but also the church in general, but also ourselves, and ask if we're having any of these conditions. Are we relying upon our own past success, neglecting the purpose of existence of the church at all? Are we allowing the sin in our lives as individuals or as a church together to go unnoticed? Are we accepting, preaching, teaching false doctrine, participating in the world's fortification? Are we insensitive to the Holy Spirit? Are we just sitting around looking at ourselves thinking, yes, we're pretty, we're beautiful, we got a great building and we got this large bank account, and we're just doing just fine the way we are. We notice that when these things begin to happen within the church, each of them contribute to church becoming eventually pronounced as dead. They're all important. And each should be considered in the health of the church. But recognize then one more symptom of a dying church, and that is this. Busyness of programs for the sake of programs. Every church has a differing degree of effectiveness, and every church has different programs. Now, every church is alike. God does not want every church to be exactly alike. So they all have different kind of programs and different levels of effectiveness. But regardless of any program the church offers or has, it must always be a house of worship and prayer, giving praise and honor and glory to God. Always. It's great to have the programs, but it always must be a house of worship and prayer, offering praise and glory to God. So then that thought then leads to a second application point, which is this. Then. Stay alive by offering God heartfelt, sincere praise and worship. Stay alive by offering God 
heartfelt, sincere, genuine praise and worship. Let me ask you, listen, have you ever been to church and you walked in that just seemed flat out cold? I mean, I constantly pray that never becomes part of Crossroads. That never happens here. But a church becomes cold when you're only going through the motions. It's cold when there is nothing genuine, nothing sincere, nothing heartfelt offering praise and glory to God. J. Vernon McGee goes a step further, and he says churches today in general, in modern day, are becoming like refrigerators. He says Protestantism today, as a whole, has the name that it lives, but it is dead. Many Protestant churches today are just going through the form, and that's horrible. The churches just meet just to go through the motions, offering no sincere praise and honor and glory to God. Now, as, as, as much as that is the case, we're going to find a few weeks of Laodicea. We're going to take a break here and not go back to the seven churches until after the new year. But we're going to find that is definitely a cold church. But as we think about what's happening, about how Sardis may not be offering that heartfelt, sincere praise and how it can lead to a dead church, we need to heed the words also John Stott, who says that we can, as a church, have a fine choir. We don't have a choir, but we've got a magnificent band, don't we? We don't have an expensive organ. We've got great music. These are great anthems, fine congregational singing. I hear you singing. I see you dancing. You're beautiful. You're wonderful. He says, we can mouth hymns and psalms with unimpeachable elegance. While our mind wanders and our, our heart is far from God. We can have pomp and ceremony, color, ritual, liturgical exactness, Ecclesiastic splendor, and yet may be offering a worship which is not perfect or fulfilled in the sight of God. When we come in, we need a heart prepared to, give, to be ready to give honor and glory and praise to God. I mean, the second point here could be summarized by the various causes and symptoms of a dying church by saying a dying church is a church that lacks zeal, passion, devotion to Jesus, and has no heartfelt, sincere, genuine praise. When you think about it, I mean, God deserves our heartfelt, sincere, genuine praise and worship. He deserves it. So let us just give it to him. He deserves our best praise. And when we genuinely, sincerely give it to him, and have the heart ready to prepare to give it to him, we can remain alive. So having then recognized a couple of symptoms of a dying church, let's go back to the question, can the church then be revived? We've recognized some things that perhaps are contributing to a dying church, but is it too late? If a church is on the verge of having a spiritual death, can it be revived? Is it too late? Is it too late for Sardis? Well, not continue to belabor the point, but Sardis, yeah, it's been declared as a dead church. We've mentioned that. So as the case, what Jesus does to offer here is a way of survival. So what must Sardis or any church having a spiritual death do if they want to relive again and be alive? We'll go back to the text that are listed in verses 2 and 3. And I think I've noticed I put it in red for you to see five commands. He says, wake up. 
There's the first command, wake up. Second command, strengthen what remains is about to die. So apparently it's still got some things going on. He says, wake up and strengthen those things that's about to die. In verse 3, he says, remember then what you've received and heard. Keep it. Repent. If you will not wake up, I'll come like a thief and you will not know what hour I will come against you. Five commands, if you notice, are given there for a church to begin to experience revival. To wake up, to strengthen, to remember, to keep or hold fast, and to repent. Remarkably, verses 2 and 3 indicate there's still time for spiritual recovery. The church would have to render total obedience to God. It's like he's saying, hey, there's a wake-up call. I mean, there's a way of revival, and the church today must wake up and wake up right now. Wake up right now before it's too late. <laughs> Hopefully you can see by reading the text that the church of Sardis is deteriorating. It's like a patient with a serious illness, but it could be saved. As it relates to the church today, or any church really in modern day, it means the churches that are on the verge of dying still may have some wonderful programs that exist. I mean, they may have a wonderful Sunday school program. They may have a little decent children's ministry. They may even have an elderly support group. So they have some things happening, but it's got to be just more than things happening. It's got to be great, wonderful, effective programs, but it cannot be the end. What the church must do to be truly revived is to turn back to God, honor Him, and put Him first. They got to preach the word and only the word. Believers in the church must fully surrender and give themselves to God completely, totally. Not just going through the motions. In essence, it's total obedience. The church must be vigilant in prayer. Return to the word, be vigilant in prayer, and preach and teach the gospel. And if anything, then they must rebuke Satan. And they got to do it. And they got to wake up and do it now. I mean, notice this. Think about this. Notice how Satan would just love for the church to dishonor God. The team would just love for the church to be lax about their witnessing, about conveying the gospel. Satan would love for the church to be lax about prayer. Just sitting back, resting upon his reputation, his laurels, his past success. Resting back about upon his little pride. He'd love for that to happen. Because what happens then is they rule over and they fade away to a slow, miserable death. I mean, that's precisely Satan would enjoy nothing better than the church today having a slow, agonizing death. So because of that, we need to be watchful. We need to wake up. We need to strengthen. We need to remember. We need to keep Hold fast and repent. Five commands. Five commands is given to the church today to be able to be revived if they're experiencing a slow, agonizing death. They've got to recognize their condition. But notice also with these five commands, Christ is not saying to the church, simply wake up from the slow death you're having. But he's calling for them to stay alive. It's not enough to just recognize i got to wake up, but you got to stay awake and alive. That's what he's calling for the church to do today 
and certainly the church of Sardis by giving them some way in which they can be revived. So that's the church of Sardis. That's what we've learned about the church as it relates even to modern day. And all that sounds wonderful as it relates to the church. But we've been talking about the church and maybe not brought it down to us personally. I mean, the entire message has been talking about the church last week and the week, but we need to bring it down to a personal level. So here's how we do that. As I mentioned during the early prayer time, here's how we make it personal to every one of us. Because you and I, we are the church. The people. It is not the building. The church is not the building. We have a place where we group together for corporate worship. That is referred to as the church. But the church is the people. It's you and me. So we ask ourselves then as we apply everything we talked about with Sardis to the church, now to ourselves personally, are you alive? Is you Are you spiritually alive? Or are you dying spiritually? Are you experiencing a slow, agonizing, humiliating death? Because as you hear this, maybe this is your wake-up call right now. Christians die spiritually because they allow themselves to be drawn away, enticed, and persuaded by our enemy. They think, where did God go in my life? Where did Jesus? He left me. Jesus never leaves you. You leave Christ. Which means you must, you must awaken and you must remember and repent. It's the us that walk away. Christ doesn't walk away from any of us. So today, if we find ourselves somehow growing complacent, cold, callous, cold-hearted, spiritually dead, then we must recommit our lives to God. Awaken, revive, and remain that way. Or maybe you're here today and you recognize now that you've been spiritually dead your entire life. Maybe you recognize you just never received really Christ. You're not even alive. You're alive only simply going to the motions, taking one breath after another. Meaningless breath at one after the other. Never accepting Christ. Well, today you can do that. You can accept Christ today and become alive before it's too late. That's the good news. Because look at verse 3. He says, I will come like a thief, and you will not know what hour I will come against you. If you remain dead spiritually, never accepting Christ, you do not know when Christ will return, but he will undoubtedly return. I mean, that's true. It's echoed many different times in Scripture. So the bottom line really is that we need to individually as the church, our people, people together are the church. We must recognize our spiritual condition. And if we are somehow dying, we must become alive and revived today. And today you have the opportunity. Come commit to Jesus today and stay alive. Father, we thank you, Lord, for this message today as it points us to what we need. Perhaps we need a message like this, Lord, for those here today or for those listening later. Maybe they need this message before Christmas. Maybe we need to hear this message today before the beginning of a new year. Because now 
perhaps better than any other time, is the time to make some sort of change. So we can, Lord, revive our spirit. So I pray for anybody listening, anybody here today, Lord, who is contemplating and struggling, that you would help them touch their heart right now, Lord. Touch their heart. Let's just have that wake-up call that we need to make sure that we do not die as a body, that we stay together, we stay alive for Christ. Call out to us now, Lord. Direct us. Let's be thankful for the fact that we have Jesus who never leaves us. Is always there for us, Lord, who took our place upon the cross. We reflect upon that today, Lord. We commit ourselves to him. Thank you, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen.